Shamina. And welcome back for Head Boss in Charge. Hey, welcome back. How are you? Hello. I'm doing fabulous, actually. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You said that a little more queenie. Fabulous, actually. Well, I have a reason to be talking like this. No, just kidding. Um, So I guess I'll go first. How am I bossing? I'll ask myself. There you go. Sometimes we have to do that. Well, first of all, I'm tired as fuck. Um, I've been working on a theatrical production for the past two months, and we opened. We're here. We're finally here. I'm so, so excited. Um, Opening night was Thursday night, and it went really, well, Thursday was preview. It's like for friends and family, and then Friday was the actual opening night. Um, And then we had tech week this week, which means every day from like 6 to 11 p.m., we are running the show over and over and working on the show with the lights and the sound and costumes and props and all of that jazz. So it sounds daunting. I've had to go to work, wake up at six go to work from nine to five, then go to rehearsal from six to 11 and do it all over again. I've been doing this for five days straight, six days straight. Saturday will be the seventh day. And then we have another performance on Sunday. So I am just dead. Ooh, look at your choices. But I'm no, also but- very excited. <laughs> I was going to say, you seem in a, in a very good mood, though, so. I, I've been just getting really, really good feedback on my performance. And, you know, this show means a lot to me because it's the hardest or the most challenging acting gig I've done to date because a portion of the show for the first 13 minutes, it's just me. It's a one-person show. So to memorize all those lines and to keep the audience captivated for 13 minutes out of the hour and 45 minutes of the show, that's a lot. And I've just gotten really good feedback. So I'm just excited for everyone to see it. Oh, good. That sounds hard. Um, as I have difficulty memorizing sometimes simple things. So I'm going to do something by myself for 13 minutes. No, thank you. Um, How are you bossing? Um, I'm pretty good. I am. It has been a good week. I was at a women's leadership forum the last two days of the week, which means I wasn't physically in the office. So that's always an upper. Um, And I got some just some good information. I was a little apprehensive because sometimes um, what I found when I'm in all all something space, like all women spaces or all queer spaces or all black spaces, like it came, I was anticipating a little bit of like, I am woman, hear me roar, like, woo. And I don't connect with that. And it feels kind of awkward. And like, now that, you know, men or male identified people are in the room, we can be ourselves. And I'm like, wow. it, it just feels a little, uh, it feels extra to be real honest. And I was hoping that that didn't happen. And it only happened like once. Um, and it was for a very, it was like super short. Um, but it was good. I got some good nuggets and some good um, learning just about women, being a woman in the workplace and perspectives of women who have kind of risen through the careers, their careers. Um, I would like to have seen a little bit more um, visible diversity. Um, it would have been nice to have a Black woman somewhere in that. Um, but there were other identities that were um, helpful and salient that I could relate to, but it would have been helpful to see a little bit more visible diversity in that way. Um, but yeah, and now my mom is here this week, just chilling, um, catching up on her favorite shows. She loves all these random shows. She loves Parenthood, okay. um, Brothers and Sisters. Ah, oh, I love Brothers and Sisters. Uh, she's binge watching now The Fosters, and so she'll come down and be like, what is Callie doing? Like, these people are so stupid. Um, <laughs> last night, she was like, um, the Fosters, low-key, is, and I'll just wrap it up with this, uh, two queer women, one mixed race, black and white, and the other one is a white woman, and they foster kids. So they have one biological and four foster kids. And so she was watching something last night, and I had to come home from going running, and she was like, these bitches are getting on my nerves. <laughs> it was like the realest, like she knew them. So, um, I'm glad to have her here. So that's been kind of an upper for this week to be able to come home and know that she's here hanging out. And we've just been hanging out, not doing too much. Um, we've got some stuff for today, but yeah. So overall, the week has been good. Sweet. All right. We'll be right back.
All right. So this week's topic or this show's topic, I should say, we're going to take a, like a shallow dive into um, respect, respectability politics um, and kind of how that shows up for us in uh, some personal stuff, work stuff, etc. So like I said, we're going to take like, it's like the baby toe going to the tip of the sand because there's a lot that we could kind of unpack here. Um, so I'm going to give kind of a working definition that I pulled up from a few podcasts, uh, Wikipedia, dictionary.com. Um, the podcast that I pulled from the most in terms of the definition was, um, uh, therapy for black girls, um, which is good. And it's, I think it's, it can be really universal. Some of the stuff that she talks about, she does a few episodes specifically about insecure, um, which are really gay. And she kind of dives into Molly and Issa. Um, she dives into Olivia Pope from Scandal. But anywho, shout out to uh, Therapy for Black Girls. Um, but this is a working definition that we're going to kind of use. Um, attempts, uh, so respectability politics is a, are attempts by marginalized groups to police their own members to ensure their social values don't challenge mainstream values. So that's a little bit heady. Um, but we're gonna, I've got a few questions for us and some thoughts and we'll include some articles in the, the show notes. Um, when you hear that, Paul, what do you hear? Because I can think of immediately some tangible things of what's, what respectability politics means and how I play a role in, on either side of that. Right. I would say probably the most common term people hear in relation to respectability politics is, what's politically correct? What's PC? Mm -hmm. um, but I interpret that as what's going to make you feel better, you know, what's going to protect your feelings, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the group that is being oppressed by the, the, the political term. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, PC washes out um, kind of those key differences between race, gender, sexuality that makes us who we are. Like, yes, uh, I'm African-American, but not really. Um, I would prefer if you just call me Black. For the yeah. longest time, you know, Black was not a PC term. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you use that specific example because I feel like people, let's call the shit out what it is. Like, white people have a really difficult time, like, as I've seen, saying, like, Black. Um, and let's be really clear. One thing that one shouldn't say is the Blacks, um, but I think people are like African-American or they'll do the Afro-American. And I was like, why are you using Afro-American? And if I refer to myself as black, well, why don't you just ask if you're not sure? But yeah, so extra. Um, one of the other quick notes I wrote, um, when I think of respectability politics, um, I just wrote this sentence. So go with it and then tell me your thoughts if you have any. So it's essentially, um, it's bred by white supremacy um, and this type of thinking and internalized racism really is what it is, allows for toxicity to grow um, kind of under, like under a microscope. So if you think about all of these things um, and to jump back, you know, 400 years or even like 200 years or so, because I'm sure there were still slaves by that point. I'm no history buff, but let's call it what it is because it's still there today. Um, it was really... Uh, a survival technique for people to keep to, to stay alive if we get to like the brass the brass tacks of it and to fit in and to not be killed by whoever your owners are and I, I we can talk about owners because that's one of my HBICs from the the um the one of the the folks in Texas who owns a football team but really the, a lot of this stems from way back in the day people kind of policing what folks did or said or how they looked so that they could stay alive and so that their families could stay alive. I've also been watching Underground. Oh, finally. <laughs> yeah, and that shit is hard to watch to say the very least. Girl, I'm not ready yet. But yeah, I, so that's kind of how I think of respectability politics. It's really like so many things boil back down to white supremacy and then internalized racism and not to remove myself from those things. But as I, if I pause and really think about it, I'll be like, well, damn. Oh. I was going to say hashtag me too, but I don't mean it like that. But like, I think, I think about those things as well, you know? Right. Um, did you have a thought before I go into questions? Uh, no, go, go right into the questions. Um, 
So I was trying to think of how do I or we reinforce respectability politics in work or in life. Um, and I have a few ways that I, I do it. And I'm not saying I'm proud, like give me a cape for doing this. Um, but I feel like, so if I think very simple, simply about like clothing, mm-hmm. uh, clothing in the sense of like, you gotta be sharp and on point you got to be twice as good to get half as much, you know, that whole Olivia Pope and Daddy Pope thing slash that we've all heard. Well, that many folks of color have heard um, from parents or family members, not that explicitly, but basically that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about, or even earlier this week, um, I was trying to uh, kind of spruce up my wardrobe a little bit um, with mixing some colors and patterns um, Loki was a shirt that I ended up falling in love with. Um, so I bought another one for a different pattern, but I really had to think, is this going to be, is this too flashy? And is this too loud for me to wear to work and express myself in this way? Or should I go like simple colors with maybe a bow tie or a vest or something like that? So I can kind of stay off the fray. And even the fact that my mind went to like, Ooh, wait a minute. Do you want to be like loud, flashy black gay girl? Or like, <laughs> subtle you know like just kind of unassuming black gay girl so that's one of the ways that I think about like how and low-key I've been like super judgmental um less judgmental now but not completely eliminated in terms of like when I see people who look like me black Shamina uh wearing all kinds of stuff and I'm just gonna stick on clothing for a minute um and I think, Lord, what? Like, why are you doing this to us? Like, really, why are you doing this to us? Any thoughts on that one? Um, or any others? Feel free to to delve yeah, in. Did you just clutch your pearls? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no. I was gonna move on to something like, um, and we've talked about this before in our show, like a uh, language. Um, mm-hmm. That was my next one. Dialect and the words that we use and how that's influenced by how we grew up. So easily um, with black people, there's Ebonics, there's the urban um, dictionary or urban language, if you will. And I think in terms of respectability politics, did I say that right? Yes. Yeah, respectability politics. um, Well, there's one side of it where I think automatically people judge our level of education, our class, our, yeah, let's just say a level of education in class mm-hmm. um, based on how we speak, right? And I think being the person who may have that education, whether you're white or black or whatever uh, race you are, you owe it to yourself to not, to strip away that judgment and really judge the person based on who they really are. Because I've met so many professionals who, let's say, they do not speak the same way that I do, but mm-hmm. they are, you know, I mean, it sounds really bad that I'm saying it like this, but <laughs> intelligent people, you know, like I, yeah, it's just kind of messed up how we are, especially in academia, how that means everything, you know? Yeah, don't even get well, me started on that shit. Um, so yeah, language and dialect and um, accents even, you know? Yeah. And it, it sucks that people feel like they have to change those things in order to get the job, get the promotion, move around career-wise and kind of silence that part of themselves so that they can quote unquote fit in and get ahead. Whatever fitting in and or getting ahead actually means. Um, another way that I think about it is, um, just, to, just to dive real deep real quick, um, and I was reading some articles this morning, and I'll make sure that we link them. Um, but there was an article from a website called BigThink.com. Um, Everyday Respectability Politics is the title. And of course, they have a picture of um, Bill Cosby on the front. And I was like, oh. But if you think about it, I know. Plus, a number of years ago, he kind of went on this big rant. Um, and he's not even the topic of like what I was going to go next. But he went on this big rant around basically respectability politics as from the time when he was on um, the Cosby show. And um, I think it was a video that went, I won't say viral, because I don't know that things went viral back in the early 2000s. 
but he would say things like pull up your pants like as advice for black men or like if you don't fix your language they're always gonna like own you and whatnot (laughs) because y'all can't see this paul just gave the best look of like uh insert severe eye roll (laughs) but things like that and like cleaning up your language like um even a bit of the idea of like the and I'm sure that somebody's gonna look at me crazy when I say this, but like the idea of like Morehouse men and how like they need to fit in this specific way so that they can advance in more or less a, as a marginalized people in a white world. So um, one of the other examples it gave, and I didn't make this connection until I read it, but, but it was around police violence and how people of color, um, and I will say black people because that's how I identify, like we as a group are now teaching our children and our young people how to interact with the police. Like you just go ahead and put your hands up, like don't say anything, like follow all the rules and all of this other shit. And so we're pushing this on the next generation of folks because we want them to stay alive. So that whole thing of like, what is old is new again? Like we want our children to live. And so we're teaching them that they need to be polite, don't talk back, like just do whatever they say. And then they're still being killed. Yeah. And so that was just, that was another way that I didn't even actually think about respectability politics, but I, cause I have, you know, nieces and nephews and I, you know, every, whenever, whenever, which is often one of these things happen, I'm texting, you know, and being like, hey, y'all just be careful out there, X, Y, and Z happen, just so that they know and they're aware. Not to, uh, part of it is probably to scare them to like, this shit is out there. Like, I want y'all to live. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing how long that message has been passed down, you know? Like, times are not really changing, you know? Yeah. As you think about it, where did that start for you? Can you think about where that started for you? And I know we've talked previously about like, you have to be twice as good to get half as much. Oh, good question. I mean, it really did start with that, that conversation with my mom. I mean, like a lot of times she would tell me like, why are you wearing your hoodie out? Like put your hoodie down, like don't do that. And she wouldn't explain why Mm. Um, she would just command and say, no, you're not wearing that. You need to wear a button up and you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it didn't hit me till now that she was worried about my appearance. You know, she didn't want me to be judged by that default stereotype, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably when it, ent- you know, th- that conversation entered my, um, you know, uh, my psyche first. And then I would say college, it was just like over and over and over. I was hearing about it. Um, especially since college is when I really learned about my multiple identities Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example like my sexuality being gay um I constantly have to check myself because I'm not sure how someone's going to react if I decide to express myself in a way that's considered gay right mm-hmm. um like when I walk into a room or a classroom or uh work or wherever it may be I constantly have to check myself mm-hmm it's a lot of work to be real honest, like just to be like you walking around on eggshells. And for those of us who have like multiple identities, we all have multiple identities, but some of them seem to be in conflict with the mainstream. Um, it's a lot of work. It's like a constant, like I'm on my P's and Q's, like watching and seeing how people are responding to me. Can I say this? Can I say this this way? Like, am I going to be perceived in this way? So I don't, I'm not sure if people realize how much work people do on a day-to-day basis just to move about the world in a simple way, you know? Right. And to constantly define that too and explain, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of work. One of my colleagues and I often talk about, um, so she and I do this uh, workshop uh, around negotiating salary. And so we've presented this workshop to her class of AAPI students, um, Asian American Pacific Islander students that she works with. And so we ended up, we always end up talking about like, as much as we like should be negotiating salary and benefits, like there's oftentimes where we have to negotiate who we are when we show up to a room. Like every day I have to think about when I walk into a room, how, how do I negotiate my blackness as I sh- at, in showing up in that room? Right. You know, and how do I 
negotiate like my full identity and the fullness of myself when I go and to interact with spaces where people don't look like me. And I am in a, a number of spaces where people don't look like me. It's not uncommon that I can go um, almost an entire day without seeing more than one or two black folks. And that's just in the normal course of my day, like moving around and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, this idea of negotiating, like who you are and how you choose to show up. Um, and people are like, well, you can choose to show up how you want to. No, I can't. No, because there's a price to pay for that. And I have to decide how much I'm willing to pay in order to be in the space, you know? So um, I'll say in terms of where I got this um, idea, I don't know that it was ever, I should ask my mom, but she'll get on here and be all slick and shit. So I'm not doing that. Um, but I think that was kind of the undercurrent of like from my religious background and upbringing of like being wholesome and Christ-like, et cetera. Um, but I also think about it as the, the classrooms that I was in, that there weren't a lot of people like me in some of those classrooms. And I didn't have AP classes. I had a bunch of honors classes, um, which I guess is the next step. I don't know, who cares? Um, we all got diplomas. Um, but I had to think about like, who am I in these spaces where the language was different than the language that I had at home and like, people dressed and showed up differently, like people had cars or they had folks who picked them up. Um, and I was like either getting picked up in a, um, what the hell was that car? We called her Brownie. It was a Datsun 210 from 1979. And this was like the late nineties. So, um, or like I was waiting for the city bus when everybody was going on home on the school bus or getting picked up or driving. I was at the bus stop like, you know, I have 30 minutes until this bad boy comes and then it's going to take me a lot of 40 to get home because the bus stops at every turn. But I, I think about like how I showed up in those spaces. Um, I even think about um, now, uh, I'd say, let's say my professional career and some of the feedback that I've gotten, we, we gonna quote unquote feedback that bitch. So <laughs> of like, I remember one person was like, well, you should really be softer. And I was, and th and then this person had the audacity to try to write this in my my evaluation. And so, uh, I remember it like it was clear as day. Um, I, you know, I had to like, I had to, you know, not be the angry black woman, which is another idea of negotiating uh, my blackness and the respectability politics that come with showing up in the fullness of myself. Um, I just remember being like. Hmm, can you help me understand what that means and how this is measurable based on my um, position description? Uh, so then I had to I had to code switch the hell out of that and be like, you know, is this you know? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it was some bullshit explanation about you know, well, some people are intimidated by you, and I'm thinking, really? I don't know what that has to do with me. I still don't know that. I have gotten that feedback. So that was probably like six or seven years ago. And I like, was shared with me in the last, I'd say year and some, like uh, people, you have to be mindful of that because people are intimidated by you. And I'm like, what the fuck does this have to do with me? Those are their feelings. Right, they're projecting their feelings on you. Like, oh my gosh, I hear that so many times and people of color get that all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And when you throw in the other identities, I'm like, my blackness, my womanness, my gayness, right. masculine presenting person. And I'm like, I don't know how, you, how one could think that would be helpful to me. So yeah, that, and, I, and I've never known what to do with that. I'm just like, can I we just have to let it be? I mean, what yeah. can you do? I mean, it, it kind of sucks that that's their perception of you. And that means that you have to fix something about yourself. That's not really worth fixing you know you yeah. constantly have to prove or define like i was saying before define your blackness to people mm -hmm. you know yeah well i tell one of my colleagues now i was like there's sometimes and I, I think people a few people that i work with might listen to the show and they should know this but who cares um like i have to it regularly consider like I need, like, I walk through the office. I walk a lot anyway, because I be trying to get in my steps with my Fitbit. So I will walk the floor and I feel like I have to show up. And I don't know what this is, where I get this from or why I still do it, because sometimes it makes me angry. 
but then I keep doing it. Um, so it's a little bit of insanity. Um, is like even simple as like walking through the hallway and greeting people as I go down the hallway or making some kind of like, I always say like, I have to show up as like happy black girl. Cause if I don't say anything or if I'm not smiling, then I'm, I'm angry. And the people ask me, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And I'm like, bitch, sometimes I just don't want to smile. Maybe I'm walking and I'm thinking. Right. But I, I constantly interrupt that in my head. So I'm like, no, say something, say something nice to this person, you know, wave to this person, give somebody the finger gun, maybe steeple finger somebody, you know, like. I'm exhausting. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So I regularly find myself in that space and it's, it's frustrating that I feel like I have to be in that. But as you mentioned earlier, like in academia, like that shit is rampant. As many studies and, you know, as much research is out there about this very topic, we still do it. Mm-hmm. We still do it. Um, in your opinion, is our respectability politics good or bad? Which is kind of a hard one. I don't even know why I jotted that down as a question, but I was thinking about it. You're just trying. You're just trying to make trip me up. That's what you're trying to do. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I to quote what you said two weeks ago. Oh, uh, both, it, both, but. And, both and. Both and. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm just gonna kind of think through this out loud. Um, oh gosh, I think there's a part of respectability politics that um, gives us that awareness. Like we have to be aware of, you know, the clothes we're wearing and why, right? The why behind what we see, that perception that sometimes becomes the reality for some people, mm-hmm. which is not always the case. But I think that's dangerous too, because I think respectability politics can be dangerous too, because people can take it to the extreme sometimes, you know? Um, And we can't control that dynamic. People are people. And I, you know, I have to, and also you have to use respectability politics in certain environments. I feel like in the workplace, that comes up much more often than you know, maybe with your friends out in a club or um, versus your family versus, you know, depending on the context, I think um, it's needed. But at the same time, people can take it to the extreme. Tell me what you mean by it's needed. Um, (laughs) It's needed in terms of keeping people in check, possibly. Give me an example. I mean, this topic is very difficult to talk about. And I know. Like, I, I actually kind of want you to reread that definition you uh, said at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, attempts, by, attempts by marginalized groups to police their own members to ensure their social values don't challenge mainstream values. Okay, right. So, before, you know, what I was saying before is that it's good in terms of keeping people in check because there's maybe that desire to protect, right? Mm, But then at the same time, I think we can easily police each other and other communities for the sake of, um, yeah, for the sake of just maybe ego a little bit. Like I think, like for example, you know, my mom telling me that I have to work twice as hard. She's telling me how to act, you know, in front of cops. I think that's that's coming from a good place. It's for protection. But I also think we police each other unnecessarily just because we our egos are getting the best of us and we want to have a voice. We want we want to make ourselves feel like we know what's right. We you know, I'm the person that knows what's right and wrong. So, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Like it's almost like well, my lived experience tells me X, Y, and Z without giving me a chance to live my experience. Um, So yeah, um, I would agree with you that it's a both and, um, as one of my mentors says, um, because I I do think there's there's an awareness that needs to be um, communicated and that people should pay attention to, i.e. awareness. Um, And to, in some instances, be able to interrupt that. Um, I think it's bad when we are not allowing people to, to show up um, and to be themselves. 
-hmm. and to kind of learn some of those things on their own because not all lessons that we learn are have to be learned the hard way or have to be you know bad lessons so yeah it's hard because I think of so many ways that it shows up um and that I know that I personally like I get pissed off with myself when I start to like have that internal judgment of like something that I see or if I hear someone say something and I'm like like I said, why are you doing this to us? Like us as black people, why are you doing this? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, we are our own individual people. We are not just, despite what the government might say, we are not just one, you know, big clump of people or like one checkbox on a form. Like right. there's so much richness and culture and diversity within, you know, any given, you know, group or identity. Um, so yeah, I, I find myself being frustrated with that, with myself and being like, let people live like so busy paying attention to other folks and what they're doing. Like, what are you doing? So that's one of the conversations that I have with myself. Um, oh shit. I may have just answered my last question. Um, but are there any ways that you can think of that we individually or we as a society can interrupt this kind of respectability politics thing? A, a lot of it is under, like listening and understanding before mm -hmm those quick judgments um, and maybe asking yourself, why do I feel the need to say this? Why do I feel the need to tell this, this person of this community that that's not right, that's not okay. Why, why, like, where is that coming from? Is it because you're embarrassed? Maybe there's a little bit of, um, I think people who have internal racism may mm -hmm. do a lot of the respectability politics. Um, they don't see themselves of the group because they're putting blanket stereotypes of the community that they're part in, part of, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, a lot of it is just understanding, listening, um, and just asking yourself why. So, starting with the individual, right? I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I think uh, I really like the starting with the individual and kind of examining for yourself, like, why am I all up in somebody else's business when that doesn't have anything to do with me? Um, um, I also think kind of a little bit, of, like I said, a minute, a few minutes ago, like allowing people to be themselves and, uh, my mom always used to say, sweep around your own front door before you try to sweep around mine. So I have to sweep around my own front door first. So that goes back to what you were saying and like kind of doing some self-examination of like, why is this? my issue like why am i champ trying to champion this and change all of these things that there's, and there's nothing wrong with that you know unless of course it's hurting people physically and whatnot um but like i, I love how you said that like just stop do some self-examination and then let people be people um i think we also have an opportunity like as we are in workplaces to like support folks who may not fit in that like thin line of what is acceptable and what is not. So if I'm in a, if I'm in my work setting and I'm with a group of colleagues who are saying, oh, this doesn't, this, this is not the right fit. You know, we like, we academics especially love to be like, this isn't the right fit, but you're hearing it more now in the tech world and whatnot, whatnot. Um, like try to get people to define what the hell they mean by fit. Is it by fit as in like, uh, because typically we tend to hire people who are like us, either racially or in terms of background or a specific, a specific skill without looking at the broader, like what does diversity bring to a group rather than like what does more, hom a more homogenous environment bring, which is typically not very much. Um, so yeah, starting to, when we're in those spaces where we can be influential and get our colleagues or our friends to try to think about like, why are, we do, why are we doing this? So why am I, and then why are we? So making it part of the conversation, rather than being like, it's just me, it's all in my head. We're not the only people, think, only people thinking this, um, these types of thoughts. So being willing to take the risk, I guess, if, if you wanna say a risk, to um, challenge ourselves, but challenge our, our friends and our peers. Like, how are we reinforcing this respectability bullshit that's out there? Because that's really what it is. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely some self-examination that has to go in there and being willing to say something out loud. Very well said. All right, so that ends our segment for Water Cooler Talk, and we're going to take a much needed break. We'll be right back.
Ask a Boss. Uh, please remember to email us any questions you may have at headbosspodcast at gmail.com. And we actually have a question. Ah! Yay! All right. So um, the person, this question is from Tegan, which will make sense when you listen to the rest of the episode. Um, uh, I'll talk, the, um, Tegan sent a, Tegan's a fake name, but that's okay. Uh, Tegan sent us an article and then a question. So I'll talk a little bit for a second about the article. It's titled, these are the types of coworkers people complain about most in therapy, um, which immediately made me think about the people that I complain about in therapy to my therapist. Um, but I'll say no names because that's not kind. Um, and I've worked professionally for over a decade, so that could be a lot of people. Um, <laughs> And these are pretty self-explanatory and we'll include the article um, link in the notes. Uh, but think about these for yourself. So the constant complainer is one. We're, and you're going to immediately start to think about all the people. That was the first one I <laughs> named for myself. The very first one. And you said it. Okay, keep going. Uh, the unqualified superior. Um, the relentless gossip. The micromanager. Uh, the blunt communicator. I was like, I shouldn't be seeing myself in these. Um, <laughs> the slacker and the idea poacher. So as you listen to this, I am sure for each one of those, you probably immediately have the picture of somebody in your mind and you want to talk about it. So if you want to talk about it, you can hit us up. Um, you can tweet at us, the email, all that stuff that Paul just said. But here's the question. Um, if you were to use celebrity bosses to describe your real or inspirational management style, who would it be? And it can be more than one. Oh, okay. S say that one more time. Celebrity bosses that... Yeah. If you were able to use celebrity bosses to describe your real or inspirational management style, who would it be? And you can, it can be more than one. Okay. So, celebrities. <sighs> Good Lord. Um, let's start with uh, aspirational. So, Oprah, because <laughs> why not? What, who, what else? There's no other answer. Right, but I'm going to be very specific here. Um, I mean, she, is, she defines how to be your own boss, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of humility that has to come along the way. I mean, she was not always working for herself, you know? Um, uh, she also represents kind of like that, um, like birthing new ideas and, uh, beating the, the social, um, mm -hmm. the status quo, right? Breaking the glass ceiling. Like she was fearless and she had a very difficult life as we, you know, we well know, but I love her humility and I love how vulnerable she is as a businesswoman, I think it's very hard, especially for people of color to be vulnerable at work. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how she's successful today because she just opened up her whole life. Um, so that's a skill or a trait, not skill, but a trait, a leadership trait that I try to remember, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just do one more. Uh, Matthew, no, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, really? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, celebrity oh gosh this is hard do you want me to do one yeah you you do yours okay so my inspirational um oprah's a given so i'm not going to use her again but my next one is a combination between um michelle obama and um the character that niecy nash plays on the claws oh i love her yeah because i think they both um, number one, I can really appreciate even in, like even aside from the the character that Nisi Nash plays on Claws, um, just hearing and knowing about her story and her hustle and the fact that she is almost unassumingly like really really funny, um, but in a serious way like nugget dropping funny if that makes sense. Like she says these little anecdotes that are funny, but then you're like, oh my gosh, there was a life lesson in there. Um, so I really appreciated hearing about her hustle and her grind and how she, um, faked her way to the top in term, to the quote unquote top, um, when she got that Reno 911 audition and eventually the role. Um, so there's something about her hustle that I really like and people who hustle like that and are kind of above board and have been through a number of things in life really, they inspire me to think about like, okay, 
well, you don't, your life doesn't have to look like this, that, and the other to get, to be quote unquote, whatever you consider to be successful. Um, and then Michelle Obama, first of all, um, Flotus Bay, the only Flotus, so let's call it what it is. Right. Um, she is, uh, first of all, her arms cut. Um, she is smart. She uses her powers for good and the work that she's done with young people and people of color. Um, she's still out. She slays the game in terms of fashion. So you can just, what are you going to do with that? Um, but when she speaks, it's eloquent. It makes sense. And she's about something and she's giving back. So she's a, she's a leader that um, reaches back. She's constantly reaching back to bring the next ones up and the next ones up. So I really value when people do that. And if they do it publicly, all the better, because it, it's a model for us to like make sure that we, as we move forward, we constantly reach back. We constantly right. reach back, you know? So I think my second celebrity would have to be <laughs> um, <laughs> this is just like a recent, um, the, you know, I like Jay-Z a lot. He's not like my go-to rapper. Like I, I respect him, but he was, he did not have that much of an impact, um, for me in my childhood. But when I listened to 444, I really, really appreciated his storytelling about how to be a businessman, right? You know, growing up in the hood, um, learning how to, you know, deal with money and invest and do all these things. I think he's a good, another good, like, male example of how to uh, kind of, I mean, you know, he, he still makes music, but now he's just a businessman. He's not depending entirely on his music career, and I think that's very admirable, you know? Mm -hmm. And another person who breaks the social uh, or the status quo because, people ju just back to respectability politics people don't think that rappers like jay-z can make it like he is making it right now so um the lyrics for 444 and his album like really like speak to you spoke to me so but i know if i slept on this i would think of other celebrities <laughs> I thought of right away so um so let's see I don't know if I can think of any boss that describes my real, like who I am as a, really as a supervisor, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> the first thought that came to mind, I was like, no, I can't be that. I was like, Annalise Keating. Um, oh, yeah, well, yeah. But I don't want to, I don't want to be that. That's not inspirational. And I sure as hell hope I'm not that. Because um, at first I was like, oh my God, she has um, uh, an alcohol problem. Um, right, amongst other things. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I can't think of another, uh, one that is inspirational that I want to be like, but yeah, the combination of Nisi Nash, uh, Michelle Obama. Um, I'm trying to think, are there any others out there? Not that I can think of right now. Yeah, neither. Maybe um, we can come back to it. Yeah. Good question. So if folks have some stuff that you're thinking like, I wish I could be this individual, like in terms of leadership styles or management styles or this combination, let us know. Um, oh, and then Tegan said, uh, she always hopes that uh, she's the best parts of Olivia Pope, but worries that she is more like Michael Scott from The Office. Uh, I never watched The Office. Me neither, so maybe I'm gonna have to uh, take a dive into that. Is that the um, Steve Carell character? Because he's awkward. Well, maybe, I think. Yeah, and so I, I value awkward people because it makes <laughs> it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. I'm like, okay, it's not just me. So, well, yeah, let us know on all our social media what you think, and remember, email us your questions at headbosspodcast at gmail .com, and we will be right back. boss of the week i don't know why i said it like that but i don't know because the energy through the video the the camera so you, you felt it so um how about i go first sure i will do two bitches and a boss so i'll start off with the bitches so we end on the boss um so bitch goes out to 
um, there was a recent article that came out on Friday uh, from Politico. It's, it was about uh, Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> insert eye roll. Um, she claims that, uh, she says, quote, I think I was under coach, um, uh, end of quote. Betsy DeVos blames the Trump administration transition team for its handling of her com confirmation. Um, so first of all, at this point, what she has been effective at it has been pulling back roughly 70 some odd uh, provisions that the Obama era administration has put forward in support of uh, students in the educational system. Um, the most, probably the most public ones that we've heard about are pulling rights with regard to um, transgender students, LGBT students, school vouchers, and then probably maybe of the most recent was um, some proposed revisions to um, how campus, higher ed campuses, um, so post-secondary institutions respond to Title IX and sexual assault cases. Um, so um, first of all, this whole thing that I was blamed, like she blames the, the Trump uh, transition team for being undercoached. Um, you were unqualified from the get-go. Right. So. Uh, if they were going to start to coaching you, they would have had to start that roughly mid 80s. So and you weren't even a thought in terms of politics. Um, so at minimum, she has been ineffective um, and has cost taxpayers an immense amount of money. And we'll include the article in there because it talks about how even after the first time. And I know we all saw those videos from back in February where she tried to visit that first school in I can't remember which state it was. Oh, or yeah, yeah. State where essentially they blocked the door and she immediately walked away. So now she has to have. Uh, what are they called? Special forces or something like that. Um, some highly trained, expensive ass uh, uh, security so that uh, she is protected because she knew what kind of um, the threat assessment around her going to these schools and being kind of quote unquote a public figure have um, put her at risk. So everywhere that she travels, she has this like team of special forces that are around to, I can't remember the name, um, oh, U.S. Marshal Services um, around uh, to protect her. So and that goes to the tune of several million dollars. I, I, I don't know if that's several million dollars for a year, for a month per visit, but all I heard was several million dollars um, for her to be protected. Um, so it's just in her fashion, um, I'm going to say that, to try to blame the next person for being underprepared. When really, it's okay to resign. Not everything is for everybody. So go ahead and call it quits and let us get about the business of supporting our children in the school system. So, um, bitch to Betsy DeVos. Um, uh, another bitch, and I will just lightly go on this because I feel like you're pro you probably will go a little bit deeper than I will to, what's this child's name? Um, Brianna Brochu from the University of Hartford and her nasty ass. Um, I can't even get into it, but when you start to talk about it in a few minutes, I will certainly join you in the, that conversation. Um, but yeah, I'm not even going to go into it, but know that I echo the bitchness of that she is. Um, actually I have two bosses. One is Robert Mueller for, um, who was the special prosecutor that it was charged and appointed to, um, conduct the, inve the investigations on, uh, potential collusion and tampering between, uh, 45's administration and the Russians. Oh. And on Monday, this past week, he um, had the, I think it was a Friday before, and the Monday those folks had to turn themselves in for two indictments that he had um, for people associated with uh, 45's campaign that he had enough evidence um, to take it to a grand jury and a judge. And they were like, basically like, yeah, this is enough information to indict these two people. And they already had um, one of the people, um, a special advisor or campaign advisor, um, who was uh, admitted that he was trying to collude with, um, they didn't use the word collude because code switching, um, with Russians. And they've had him uh, kind of under their reign since uh, maybe July, June or July. And basically he was, he admitted guilt. And so there's kind of rumblings out there that he, um, low key 45 had a picture of this person in on like um, uh, a, a, a campaign meeting. So it was like Jeff Sessions, this person who admitted their guilt, 45 and a few other people in the room as they're talking about the campaign and trying to move forward. And this, of course, 
45 tweeted this back in March of 2016. So I'm like, you can't deny your own tweet. Um, so shout out to Robert Mueller for uh, uh, doing what he was brought on to do, which is expose what is the truth. Um, and low key shout out to that Twitter employee. Did you hear about this? Uh, maybe that he um deleted uh 45's uh twitter account for 11 minutes oh yes 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 <laughs> I that. so boss to that person there has been no name revealed as of this morning but boss to that person for doing what we're all like yes if it were me please um so <laughs> i have a, a really good friend of mine that works at twitter and i'm gonna see him tonight i'm gonna ask him if he knows who it is oh my gosh i'm so there for that so shout out to that person um we're, we're all rooting for you we're still all rooting for you you probably have a job if you ever came out about it so um and then uh my, so there was two so there's one more um shout out to amira van who is um yes so she's hashtag lawyer bay um i first saw her and heard about her on scandal or not scandal all lies i watched scandal this morning at like 6 a.m because i was up um but how to get away with murder as um tegan price who is basically a powerhouse um spoiler alert gay lawyer um on this season of how to get away with murder um she is the supervisor to uh michaela and is lawyer bay that's as much as i can say on that you gotta watch you gotta watch it oh my goodness and she's not on screen for a ton of time but she brings it um ugh, i can't even get into it um but yeah which then led me to start to watch underground because that's kind of um of oh yeah course, she's in that yeah she is she plays miss ernestine in um underground which is whew, hard to watch um but uh yeah strong black afro-latina woman who is about it and is smart um is kind from what i see like on her social media so of course she's gonna put a spin on it but um yeah it's, she just brings a different element and like a queer person to how to get away with murder that is of color um aside from oliver don't get me wrong he's he's great um, but it's nice to see a woman in that sense that seems to be good. Hopefully we'll stay the course through the entire season. So we don't know that yet, but shout out to Amira Van, hashtag lawyer bay, and I'm done. Yes. Okay, I'm going to try to go quick with mine, but uh, to continue our conversation about this University of Hartford oh, white student. Disgusting. Who uh, revealed this information via video where she proclaimed that she was very happy that she finally got rid of her Jamaican uh, Barbie, Barbie beanie, right? So she proceeded to tell us that, or tell, you know, whoever that she took used, her own used tampons, bloody tampons, and wiped them on her backpack. She spit in this black that, student. That was enough. That was, when I first saw that, I said, that is enough. That is enough. I'm sorry, go ahead. She spit into this black student's coconut oil, or coconut, yeah, coconut oil. She spit into it. As Shamina shows me her, <laughs> her jar of coconut oil, just readily available, because that's what black people do. Yes. And then lastly, she, um, oh, what was it? Oh, no, there were two more things. Oh, she took her toothbrush, wiped it in her ass, and put the toothbrush back. And then, uh, there, those are the only three I know. Is there oh, she put um, moldy clam oh. uh, dip in her conditioner, I believe. And this student did not know any of this was going on. And this Black student just did a room change. You know, she went to live somewhere else and then found out all this happened. And so as a result, you know, residence life and housing and the university got involved. And now this white student is arrest arrested for... Um, I forgot what exactly the charge is, but... Oh, it's changed over the last few days. Because um, at first it started off as a misdemeanor, then it was two felonies. And I think now that uh, a hate crime is on the table. But one crucial thing about this, in, uh, in addition to all that disgustingness, is that this young Black woman, I know the hashtag is justice for Jazzy, I believe. Um, right. She was having the... She had been sick almost since the start of when she had got there. So who knows? I think they had only lived together for maybe a month, a little bit more. 
but um, she was sick and she had this like a constant sore throat and extreme pain and was going to the health center on campus. And if you don't, if it's not for the basic services, it's typically not free, like you have to pay something um, and was sick and they hadn't been able to diagnose, like it's not strep, it wasn't bronchitis, but there's bad bacteria in your throat. So here's, you know, a few rounds of antibiotics, but the student still wasn't getting better. So on top of all this, she's sick and ill and trying to be a student. So, yeah, but the last I heard was hate crime was, was one of the um, charges as of maybe like Thursday or Friday. So we'll see which of those stick, but it sounds like, and did you know that the judge that is hearing this for the city of Har Har Hartford is a black woman? Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But it's just a bitch. That's all. Just bitch. Yeah. And uh, kids. How yeah. disgusting do you have to be? This isn't even a kid. Yeah. This person was at least 17 or 18. So you are out of the kid kids, category. But, but how yeah. disgusting do you have to be in order to think that any of this, it's not even funny. There's nothing oh. funny about this. This is disgusting. No, you vile human being. Ugh, okay. I need anyway. you to figure out something else to do with your anger and your rage and, and your racism. So let's just, that's what it is. So. <sighs> okay, well, let's think of something positive. Okay. Um, so I have two bosses. Um, one goes to Ryan Murphy, who, he's a big Hollywood producer and writer. We know him for, you know, uh, American Crime Story, Glee, um, Nip Tuck, uh, way back when he wrote Popular. Um, and right now he has uh, American Horror Story. He has a lot of shows and he always gets work. So one, props to him for making high quality stories that like he has three to four television, television series that are in production at the same time. Like that, this guy is so busy. But anyways. Okay. He has a new show on FX coming out next year called Pose. And it's set in the 1980s. And it's a primarily trans black cast. So Ryan Murphy is the first writer and producer to have a majority of the main cast be trans people, never mind trans people of color. And on top of that, he is uh, getting trans writers, trans directors, and uh, yeah, writers and directors to like be part of his team for to tell this story. And it's, it's about like four or five trans people living in New York City in the 1980s and just like drama and whatnot. And oh, and I remember the other thing. He is also going to recreate the ballroom scene in New York, like the underground ballroom scene. So he hired choreographers, choreographers that have worked with Beyonce, Britney, Christina Aguilera, all these people. And he's gonna film ballroom scenes, like voguing and all of that. And I'm like beyond, okay. beyond excited to see this. Like, so boss to Ryan, uh, Ryan Murphy, because this is how you tell a story that's not your own you assemble the dream team and they yeah. tell the story from their eyes instead of like a white man telling the story from what perspective, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh goodness, that was shade. I love it. I mean, I wasn't trying to throw shade, but it's the reality. And then my last boss goes to, uh, I don't know like exactly who, but the new cast of The Lion King, which will mm -hmm. be a live action movie, right? I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out. I just know it's not until 2019, so we have some time to change, to save our coins. Right, but Beyonce, mm -hmm. let's just start with Beyonce. She is going to voice the character of Nala, which I see it. It makes sense. Um, and just, uh, you know, we'll post the link to the cast list, but I'm just really excited that we're doing a recreation of The Lion King and making it hella black, which is how it, it needs to be. Yeah. We just got to keep James L. Jones alive. So y'all watch out for James oh, L. Jones. Oh, girl. Yes, yes. All right. So that's all I have for my bosses. Um, so that ends our segment uh, or our episode. So please, uh, please connect with us on all our social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, email us your questions at headbosspodcast at gmail.com. Listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And leave us reviews. If, you know, leave us reviews for wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it for me. All right, peace, y'all.
Alright, bye. Bye. <laughs>